You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 2, Episode 9. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there and welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. In this episode, I have the pleasure of bringing back a past guest, uh, Chris Veeman, to talk once again about citizenship. And it is crazy. He talked with me back in Season 1, Episode 15 on this same topic, and we were sure that uh, the proposed changes to the uh, Citizenship Act were going to occur in time for Canada Day last year. <clears throat> so with some of the recent movement in, in the, the uh, respective immigration bill, uh, I asked Chris to come back on and share a little bit more insight and to see if we can nail down once again when this is actually going to become law. And uh, Chris did a fantastic job. I know you're really going to like what he had to say. Um, it's a little bit shorter podcast this uh, uh, this episode is um, because really, you know, there we, we can't confirm 100% exactly what's going to happen until it really does. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're prognosticating a little bit more and, and having some fun with this. And I know those who have been patiently awaiting these changes, the difference, practically speaking, can for some people mean the difference between um, applying for Canadian citizenship two years earlier than under the current law. So stay tuned for that. I also want to uh, uh, just express my appreciation to all those who have been patient as these episodes have slowed down a little bit through my transition to my new law firm, uh, Stringham LLP, uh, here in Lethbridge. And uh, it's been a little bit of an adjustment and trying to uh, get back into the grind when you're working on your own as a sole practitioner. And I know, um, you know, I had uh, a partner previously in my, in my previous firm, but we really didn't do too much together. I was pretty much independent, even though we were a partnership. Um, it's different coming to another firm with lots of lawyers and, and readjusting, but it's actually been awesome. And they've been a phenomenal firm to work with. And I'm really excited about the future. Um, as you can tell, I also love doing this kind of thing. And sometimes I say to myself, boy, if I could make a full-time job out of doing podcasts, uh, videos, teaching, presenting, all those kinds of things, that would be my ideal job. Well, I can tell you that uh, I, I have become completely and totally hooked on something new, which I know has been out there already, and it is called Facebook Live. And so one of the things that I'm going to start experimenting with is uh, is doing some Facebook Live uh, episodes. Now, at this stage, um, I know that the Facebook technology doesn't quite allow me to have guests on and do an actual video uh, of us talking back and forth, um, but I'm hopeful that that's going to happen in the near future. But just Facebook Live itself and this little program that I've got... Um, allows me to do some pretty cool things in that type of a format. So for those of you wondering, hmm, how do I get my name out there? You know, running this podcast that that Holthy's got going is is really quite a 
quite an undertaking. And I will agree, it, it probably takes me three hours uh, by the time I do the show and then the, you know, the, the editing and, and uh, you know, post editing and, and those kinds of things to clean up the audio and then to select some nice pictures for the, the, uh, for the copy on my website and all those kinds of things and making sure that I've adequately described the, the guests that give so graciously of their time to come on here. It takes a long time to do that. But these Facebook Live things are fantastic. They're so much fun. Instant engagement with people. And uh, those of you out there who are wondering, you know, how you can grow your practice in your various areas, I would highly recommend you consider that. And uh, yeah, so we'll see how that plays out in the future. But I thought I'd just share that with you because it's something that I'm super excited about. Those of you who are connected with me uh, through my personal Facebook page and, um, you know, you you may have seen some of my experimentation with it. Uh, it's always a good place to try things out before you release them on the business side. But uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. So I'm super, super happy about that. Um, I'm also looking forward to going uh, here in June uh, out to Toronto for our National Canadian Bar Association's uh, immigration conference. And this is the highlight of the year for me, a chance to reconnect with all of you uh, friends uh, across the country, um, get some great instruction from just some phenomenal speakers. And this year, I'm not speaking, so I can actually enjoy with no stress and just watch all the other people who are stressed, <laughs> getting ready to do their presentations and, and coordinating with the government officers. So when I'm out there, if you're listening to this podcast, make sure that you catch up to me, say hi. Um, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm just really looking forward to connecting with all of you again. So uh, that's all my fellow CBA uh, immigration members, um, fellow CBA immigration members. And uh, then I have the pleasure also of going down to New Orleans later in June to the American Immigration Lawyer Association Conference and att- also attend the Global Immigration uh, forum, I think it's called, uh, that they tack on in front of it and meeting all of my international colleagues and friends who practice uh, business immigration like I do in their various countries uh, countries around the world. So I'm looking forward to connecting with all of those friends. And this summer is turning out fantastic. It is just absolutely awesome. So I thought I'd just uh, talk a little bit randomly about those things and uh, I know most of us are really looking forward to, to summer coming up and getting a little bit of a break. But, uh, but yeah, some phenomenal events that I'm looking at attending. And the best part, absolutely best part of, the, uh, of attending the CBA is that there's a whole new group of people that have some wonderful industry knowledge that in the past have been gracious enough to come on this podcast. And so I'm excited to extend uh, invitations for other people to come and expand a little bit on what they shared and their areas of expertise that they cover within uh, within our upcoming National Immigration Conference in, in Toronto. So look forward to that. All right, everyone. Um, I think I've probably talked enough at this stage. Let's jump into the interview that I just did uh, with Chris Veeman of Veeman Law in Saskatoon. I'm here with Chris Veeman who is back for a second round with the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I am super happy to have him back, but quite shocked that it has taken so long to actually have him rejoin us. Now, in fairness, it's not Chris's, uh, Chris's fault. And, uh, and Chris, I, I welcome you back to the podcast. Well, thanks. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, and it's not your fault either, I must say. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's Who do we a, blame? I think we'll blame the, uh, I guess the liberal government probably is is the one well, to blame. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, or whoever is, is holding things up. So if uh, the listeners recall um, back in uh, season one, episode 15, which occurred almost a year ago, May 11th, 2016, we were excited about the upcoming changes that were going to happen with uh, citizenship uh, here in Canada. And it has taken now, and they're actually still not fully implemented, but we are close. And so I invited uh, Chris to come back and join us to try and put a ribbon on this and and give people a little bit more understanding um, as to, uh, you know, more or less timelines of when this is going to become law and when these changes are going to happen. So I'd encourage you to go back and and re-listen to episode 15 and just see uh, see how much of our prognosticating actually <laughs> resulted in, you know, how close we really were, which I, I think we probably weren't too close uh, at all. Uh, would you agree, oh, in Chris? Terms of, uh, in terms of timing? Yeah. Yeah, no, you're way off on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we still don't really know for sure when the the, the meat of this is going to come into force, you know, to be honest. We're, we're still kind of guessing on, at that. Yeah, well, we'll... Hopefully, we've got a little bit more insight for uh, for our listeners. Um, I, I just want to remind everyone just a, f- a few details about Chris. Obviously, you can learn a, a lot more from him, uh, how he got into immigration, everything else like that back in episode 15. But uh, Chris practices in um, in Saskatoon, his hometown, and he's, he's practiced there since 2004. He's an immigration lawyer. Um, he graduated from the University of Toronto, and he articled, or he should, sh- I should say, he he um, he was a, a former federal court of Canada law clerk, and uh, he, yeah, and then he's been practicing law since 2003. He's been an executive member on our Canadian Bar Association's National Immigration Law Section for a number of years, and so he served out his five-year term here in 2016, and and uh, now he's got more time to come on podcasts with me, which is great. And uh, the the final thing, I'll give him one last little plug, is that he contributes. He's a contributing author uh, on the chapter on the Saskatchewan Immigrant Nominee Program in Carswell's text, uh, Provincial Nominee Programs in Canadian Immigration Law. So there you have it, Chris. Welcome back. Pleasure to have yeah, you with us. For, yeah, thank you for inviting me back. Um, uh, you know, obviously, the, the Citizenship Act, um, maybe it's it's a uh, case of delayed gratification, but I think people will be uh, a lot of applicants anyway should be happy with the changes that are coming. Very cool. So why don't you just for those listeners who are too lazy to go back and and listen to episode fifteen again? Um, can you give us just a little bit of a snapshot historically? Um, uh, just you know what has happened with this flip flopping back and forth with the, the citizenship um, law in Canada. Well, I think you have to really start back in uh, 19, well, I mean, Canadian citizenship law really started in 1947 with the first uh, Canadian Citizenship Act. But the there was a major rewrite in 1970, uh, well, through 77, 78. And that 78 le- legislation, the uh, Citizenship Act, uh, set up, you know, the, the traditional understanding the framework for Canadian citizenship law, which was that uh, people could apply for a grant of citizenship by meeting a residency obligation and uh, demonstrating knowledge of Canada. Um, and 
and so the, the test for residency under that 1978 legislation was that they had to show that they're resident in Canada for three years or the equivalent of three years in the four years prior to their application for citizenship. So this citizenship is real, that that pathway is for people who immigrate here, they become permanent residents, and then they live here for three years, then they can apply. That was the uh, that was the 1978 um, law. The 1978 law also established dual citizenship. So you could come here, immigrate, and become a citizen of Canada and retain your uh, your original or birth citizenship or even uh, more than two. Uh, so that was a key feature of the 1978 Act as well. And both of those things became, um, they were really the, the core of the debate that started really under the former government, the conservative government, which introduced Bill C-24, uh, which they titled the Strengthening Canadian Citizenship Act. And that legislation um, was passed in uh, 2014. And the main things that it, the main thing that it, it tried to do was to um, increase the physical, uh, the residency requirement for applying for Canadian citizenship. Instead of three out of four years, the new legislation, so Bill C-24, required people to be in Canada for the equivalent of four years, so that's uh, 1,460 days, in the six years prior to their application, so an extra year. It also did away with a part-time or half-time credit for temporary residents that used to exist under the under that 1978 law. So, Which, so Chris, so this were, is uh, yeah. So, so one of the driving forces now, if you just go by the the name of that bill, strengthening mm. Canadian citizenship. So they just felt that it was just too easy, and that people had to show more commitment to Canada in order to get it. Is that is that what's driving this thought process? Is we need to make it, uh, you know, worth more and and um, you know, basically make people earn it. Yeah, I think that is what the thinking was with the, the the authors of that bill. I actually, when I appeared uh, before the standing committee in um, in 2014, um, that was uh, there was an exchange, or was it, I can't remember what year it was, 2015 perhaps. Um, there was an exchange with uh, I had an exchange with one of the members of of the committee, and that was really his point: is that yeah, if if you have to work harder for something. It, it therefore means it's worth more to you. Um, so that I think that was the thinking. And also, um, the other part is, so um, just to get back to my sort of uh, time frame there, mm-hmm. or, or summary, the new legislation returns us to closer to the 1978 law. It's not exactly the same, but it's still three years of presence in Canada. And you you do get that credit for time as a temporary resident. So if you're here as a worker, a student, you can count that time. Um, so that's the, the that's on the grants of citizenship. That's the key focus, I guess, of the grants of citizenship yes. part uh, is the residency. Um, the other main part of that, like the, the the part of that strengthening the Canadian citizenship bill that got a lot of debate and it was uh, a focus of the election. One of the one of the debated points in the in the federal election was uh, revocation of citizenship. 
So that was the other main part of that bill. So what it did was it allowed the government to seek revocation of citizenship for national security reasons. So if you were, had engaged in uh, treason or in acts of terrorism against Canada, these types of things, um, you could have your citizenship stripped. If and But that only applied, though, uh, due to some treaties that Canada had signed. It only applied to dual citizens. So if you were born in, uh, let's say you are born in the UK and you immigrated to Canada and you got convicted of one of these things, you could have your citizenship stripped. Whereas if I, I was born here in Canada, but if, so if I had done the same thing, I, they couldn't take away my citizenship because I wouldn't have another one. And the whole, the treaty is pro- designed to prevent statelessness. So, but, but Chris, a citizen is a citizen is a citizen. Right, <laughs> you sound like uh, the mi- minister, minister McCallum. John, John McCallum, <laughs> yeah. our previous immigration minister, who now is off on a nice foreign assignment to hand the reins over to our new minister uh, Husson. But uh, yes, indeed, that was the mantra, right? That was the the Liberals' platform, and that's what they were campaigning on, right? And so, yeah, yeah, exactly. so they didn't like well, this. Had, yeah, no, you had, and you had a lot of, uh, well, several kind of cases that were brought under that law uh, right before the election to sort of highlight that issue, like citizenship that had been, that was revoked. Mm -hmm. There there were several examples leading up to the election, I think, you know, to really drive home what the conservatives were focused on. And um, so that's another thing that this bill C6, the the current bill that's uh, just being uh, read for the third time in the Senate with, uh, you know, so basically, took the text from the House of Commons from June of 2016, and then uh, made a f- three mainly three amendments. Anyway, the they're getting rid of the the revocation of citizenship on national security grounds. That's one thing, okay, yeah. and then making the reversing basically to where we were before or close to it on grants of citizenship. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So. Um, but it's the, what, what is strange is that, you know, we had a really a lot of focus on this bill, Bill C-6, back in, in 2016 after the election. And then it seems to have kind of sat for a long time. Like last year when we talked, I was very optimistic and thinking that it could be passed and become law. By, you know, it would be really a, a good optics to have it come into effect on Canada Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it looks like we're aiming for uh, sometime around then 2017. Well, you can see it's pretty clear to me. You know, it's the 150th anniversary, right? And so this is going to be a huge, big splash. And, and, uh, uh, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau is going to be front and center. And it's just going to be a marvelous occasion. (laughs) Yeah, we better book our tickets for Canada Day in Ottawa. (laughs) Ottawa, absolutely. I guess we'll soon see here in uh, as we go forward with our episodes of the Canadian Immigration Podcast, uh, whether we have to come back for a third round because it yeah. still isn't law. <laughs> well, maybe maybe they'll want to delay it just before the next election. That would be really unfortunate if that were to happen. Especially for all the people. But yeah, right now we're... Uh, I was going to say, especially for all of the people that I told you, might said you might want to hold off on applying for citizenship if you don't yet uh, you know, qualify because of all these lovely changes. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess there's no downside to the uh, counselor, the immigration lawyer, because either you're, you're accumulating the time towards the citizenship application under the old law, 
or uh, you know, as soon as the new one comes in, you can apply. So exactly, no one's no one's losing time in that scenario, I guess. No, they're not. <clears throat> Excuse me. Excellent. Yeah. So it's um, it's still a guess as to when it's going to come in, but maybe um, maybe by June, uh, July first is the most reasonable guess. Gotcha. Now we've had a little bit of a little bit of coverage lately on the topic, and uh, you know, lots of people you know discussing it. Um, do we have any? Like uh, I know you're you're kind of saying maybe around July, but has there been anything clear? You know, is it has it advanced all the way through uh, where it needs to with it, with respect to the government approvals? Um, where are we at in that stage? Right. So the House of Commons read it for the third time uh that was back in 2016 and the senate has had it on the agenda uh you know for, that's really where the the time has passed uh and it's the same a similar process the senate holds hearings and, and there were hearings um in the spring of 2017 those wrapped up in um april and you know and so the canadian bar association again made uh, submissions as well as other witnesses and, you know, actually, I think the Senate this time really lived up to its, to its, uh, what it's supposed to be as the, uh, chamber of sober second thought. And some of the, you know, some amendments were introduced that, um, that demonstrate that. One of them that was, uh, that was accepted was it relates to applications for citizenship by minors. So in the past, minors like under 18 would would be able to apply for citizenship as part of their family so if their parents were applying they would be included and they could be granted citizenship even though they're under 18 but they couldn't apply on their own um so there were situations where you know let's say a, uh, a refugee child arrived in canada and they didn't know where their parents were uh they wouldn't have a right to apply for citizenship under the under the former system. And so that amendment was, was, uh, accepted by the Senate committee. So Chris, on that front, if you do have a situation like that, obviously when, when there's grants of citizenship, the the rule, you know, the four and six rule is going to be modified to the three and five, but how does that apply to minors? Um, you know, if we were to talk right now as the law stands right now, um, if you had a minor come in, so you're saying now they would not be eligible to apply for citizenship? So right now there's no right to apply. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of the, you know, and if you go on the website, there's, there wouldn't be forms available for it. But my, and I've, I haven't personally dealt with a case like that myself. But uh, my understanding is that from the, from the testimony in, before the Senate is that the department will uh, has the ability to waive requirements for minors. And so on a case by case basis, the department officials can process a citizenship application for a minor. Hmm. Um, and so I think this amendment is really, really the, the effect of it will be to make that much more well known that it's possible for a, a minor to apply. Hmm. That's um, interesting. You know, I and have the right to do it. Oh, excellent. You know, it's interesting right now I have I have a situation in, in southern Alberta here. We have a lot of Mexican Mennonites that have gone down to Mexico and, you know, generations past and are now returning to Canada and they are caught by the second generation living abroad. Um, you know, if you were born 
in the second generation outside of Canada, then you, you don't have that opportunity uh, to, to claim citizenship. And and so I've got a couple situations where both parents are Canadian citizens, but they're children. We had to uh, go through a separate process to get them permanent residence. And uh, now we're submitting citizenship applications for the kids when both parents are already citizens. And so, but that's right. a little bit different than your situation, but um, it's, it's pretty frustrating, you know, that we had to go through and, and do the, the, the proof applications and different things to get them their citizenship. And then, and then, uh, yeah. And then, uh, sorry, their permanent residence and then transition to citizenship. So it'll be great. Right. Yeah. They have to go do the whole immigration mm-hmm. process first yeah. and then, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, really yeah. frustrating. So we're, yeah, but we're just starting that process with, uh, with the family right now and it'll, yeah, it's, it'll, it'll be, uh, it'll be really great for them, but going forward, it'll be nice for kids who, like you've described there, who maybe don't have parents and have come through the refugee process and, and can apply directly versus having to go through some special, special grant process. Yeah. And in terms of like, we were talking about the, um, the timing of this and, you know, there's the the bill has some coming into force provisions that may separate out when these um, when these changes actually come into into effect for people. You know, if we were talking about July 1st as a possibility, and it you know it may be that the act will get royal assent then, but uh, it does you know the act or the bill I should say contemplates uh, other dates for coming into force of things like the physical presence in Canada requirement mm. and um, the the, uh, the age requirements for uh, the knowledge and language, uh, requ- you know, those requirements, those may come into effect later. Um, and so people who are waiting to apply on July 2nd may be frustrated by, by that. So it could be that the department will require additional time to, you know, create new application forms and all that sort of thing which is, you know, what happened the last time around when the 1400 and the four and six uh, change came into effect, there was a time period required to, you know, create new forms. So I expect we'll see that in this case too. Yeah, well, hopefully they've got enough uh, advance notice now <laughs> to to <laughs> actually start that process. And, you know, I would hope. Yeah, y- you'd hope so for sure. And so just to kind of recap a little bit, uh, and just to remind our listeners, essentially some of the big, big high level things that we've talked about so far is the revocation of this, you know, two tiered Canadian citizenship <clears throat> and, uh, and then the reversal of the, the length of residency requirements from living physically present in Canada, four in every six years to three in every five. And then as Chris alluded to briefly, um, one of the huge benefits for permanent residents who came as foreign workers or or otherwise are students and, and then obtain their permanent residence, they're able to claim uh, half time for every day spent in Canada up to one year. And so if you were here for two years, you can get credit for one towards citizenship. And uh, for a lot of people, that's that's pretty exciting. I've got clients that are asking me frequently, is the law changed? Is the law changed? <laughs> and I keep telling them, well, if it doesn't change, another six months, you'll be ready. <laughs> so, yeah, so. yeah. No, that that makes a those two things make a huge difference. You know, you have a student that's come here to you know on a study permit, finishes their degree. Uh, let's say they immigrate in a, a year after they're done. Um, so they're so they become a permanent resident. They, they under the new law, they'll have to wait two years to apply for citizenship. 
Mm-hmm. Currently, though, if they if that same scenario, you know, like if the bill somehow didn't become law, which I I can't see that would happen now, but under the current law, um, they would have to wait, become a permanent resident, and then wait four years. So yes. right there, two year difference. It's pretty significant. Yeah, it sure is in the lives of people who. You know, there's significant, significant advantages that come from having Canadian citizenship. And so, um, especially yeah. like I, well, I think that um, the the purpose of the residency requirement is that you become Canadianized just by being here. And I think that there's merit to extending that to people who are here on a work permit or on a study permit. I mean, they're here physically, they're working in the economy they're, or they're studying at a university, so they're becoming Canadianized. Um, you know, they're not permanent residents yet, but to all, to many uh, people, like they, they're integrate. They can be integrated into the into society. So I think we should recognize that. Absolutely, I I, I agree. Extent. Yeah, I agree for sure. So I wonder, are they going to call? Like, what what are they? I, I'm trying to think of the best thing to. So what do they call this this this? Um, the, the change, the the new the new bill. What what do they, what do they call it? So we know what the conservative called it: the strengthening of Canadian citizenship. Yeah. Is it is it the softening of Canadian citizenship? <laughs> the weakening. <laughs> the weakening. Yeah. I guess no, it depends on who's a, asking. <laughs> yeah the 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 uh, current government has a much less dramatic uh, style of naming bills. <laughs> um, this one is called an act to amend the citizenship act and to make consequential amendments to other acts. Oh man, that is so boring. <laughs> it is totally boring. Totally boring. Um, yeah. When you compare it to things like the, uh, zero tolerance for barbaric cultural practices act. <laughs> or the or, cracking yeah. down on crooked consultants. <laughs> act. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. That's, that's one legacy of the conservatives that, uh, you know, that I really miss. Well, you know, it's it's more interesting to read about it. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, can you talk a little bit more about this age for language tests? Because I know that's something that, you know, usually it's not a big issue for people, but um, but it, it's obviously something that has been debated a little bit. Right. So the um, Strengthening Canadian Citizenship Act, that was the Bill P-24 from 2014, uh, basically extended the range of people uh, that would be required to show language and knowledge, uh, language competence and knowledge of Canada. Um, and so it, you know, previously it was from, uh, it was from 18 to uh, 54. So anybody 55 or, or over would be exempted and people uh, under 18 and then the Strengthening Canadian Citizenship Act changed that and made, you know, uh, added on groups of people both below and above the, the previous range. So it went from 14 to 64. And the Bill C-6, the one that was uh, passed by the House of Commons, reduced that again, basically back to where it had been. Um, and there's an amendment, though, uh, introduced by the Senate uh, to kind of strike a bit of a middle ground. It's still going to be 18, but it looks like the upper end of the age would be 60 under this amendment if, it, if that is finalized by the House of Commons. Hmm, so, yeah, it, it, there's a bit of a, a, bit of a, a reversal, but not all the way back. So hmm. I'm not sure. Usually that type of 
that type of uh, decision would be informed by some um, statistics, I guess, on on whether language, you know, whether a 56-year-old is likely to join the labor market and there, uh, or you know, participate and should have to demonstrate language ability, this kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting. Um, one thing I, I remember in a podcast I did with Richard Curland <clears throat> uh, earlier this year, you know, we talked a little bit about the lack of transparency and how everything is kind of behind this curtain, all the decisions that are being made. And it's, it's you know, Richard has made a, a pretty good practice of, of doing access to information requests to, to get information. And, you know, it sure would be nice if the government, and I don't know if any government officers actually listen to this podcast, but it would sure be great if, you know, some of those decisions, if there was a little bit more transparency and, uh, yeah, that would that would help us to understand what the real significance is between, you know, leaving it at fifty four the way it was pre conservative changes to uh, to building it up to the, the proposed sixty that you've mentioned now. So, but you know what? It doesn't change the fact for for most people, and uh, this is truly good news because if you are as you very clearly set forth, if there is uh, uh, you know someone who's been here working in Canada. Essentially, they're going to be eligible for citizenship two whole years before they would otherwise. So, very positive changes. Well, Chris, is there anything else that you'd, you'd like to add? Um, I, I just want, just for my listeners to wrap it off. So, you were, you were saying that everything is going to go forward for sure Canada Day, and it's going to be a huge celebration. Is that the case? Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm ordering the cake, <laughs> um, so everybody can come to my office, and we'll have a big party. <laughs> Fantastic. We'll begin filling. We'll begin filling out forms that very day. Oh, awesome! Fantastic! That's <laughs> great. And you know what? I maybe what I'll do then is I'll create a complete do-it-yourself guide on on filing your own citizenship application. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, awesome. All right. Well, that well, that's great. So, Chris, if if um, you know, so people are trying to find their way to your office for this huge party that you're going to have. And uh, they want to contact you to get directions, and uh, you know, ultimately give you a whole bunch of money in advance to help them and their family right. all get citizenship. Yeah. <laughs> What's the best way for them to reach you? Well, probably I have an unusual last name. There aren't too many of us, uh, especially doing immigration law. So <laughs> if you if people Google Veeman Law, they'll find my website and the contact information there. So V E E M A N L A W. That's right. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Chris. I really appreciate the time you've taken, and this will be fun. We'll we'll try again and see if uh, there's going to be some fireworks on on Canada Day for those looking to apply for Canadian citizenship. So thanks so much. Keep our eyes on it. All right. Take care. Thanks for inviting me, Mark. You bet. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, that was awesome. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting when you, when you think about how slow it is for things to, to occur as it works, you know, as, as law works its way through the parliamentary process, I guess we probably shouldn't be too surprised that we're a year later, almost talking about the, the same types of things. Although the, the bill has worked its way through, uh, and as Chris was saying, through the Senate, and we're just about, just about ready um, for royal proclamation and getting it out there. But for those of you who have been patiently waiting, you know, it's a huge, huge difference. Think about it. As, as Chris alluded to, you could be eligible if you've actually been in Canada as a worker or a student uh, on temporary resident status. 
um, getting, you know, up to one full year uh, of credit towards your citizenship. And then when they reduce it from four down to three, that's two whole years sooner. So really neat, uh, you know, to see that come into effect. Um, obviously the revocation of citizenship and, and, uh, you know, interesting changes to the age for language tests, which I found was somewhat quirky, I guess, you know, why go from, you know, if you're going to repeal it and go back to the, you know, the 18 to 54 or whatever, why, you know, what 18 to 60, you know, what, what's the difference? What's the significance between 54 and 60? So if there is anyone within uh, Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada with that knowledge that would love to come join me on the podcast and talk a little bit more about the actual decision-making process that went, you know, that goes on behind the curtain, I would love to have you join me. But so far, none of the, uh, the immigration officers have, uh, have agreed to, to, to step on yet, and that's totally fine. Uh, we will continue to try to guess, and it makes for really good uh, podcasting. Anyways, um, yeah, it was great to have Chris on, and he's really doing a good job out there in, in Saskatoon. Uh, served very faithfully on our national executive for, for five years, his, his term there, and uh, contributed a lot. And I, I think he chairs the citizenship committee within the, the CBA uh, national section um, as it stands right now. So he's the perfect person to get on to talk about this topic. If you have other topics that you'd like to cover... Um, or suggestions for guests that might, uh, you know, that, that might be great to have on, please don't hesitate to send me an email, mholthy um, at stringham.ca. <clears throat> That's S-T-R-I-N-G-A-M dot C-A. I'd love to hear from you. And if you, uh, yeah, if you have any, any, any suggestions for future, future topics, um, that, it, it, that's great. That's exactly what I would love to receive. So this concludes um, this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. And until we meet again, I wish you all the best as you navigate this crazy world of Canadian immigration law, policy, and practice. Take care. Greatest country in the world. We want to share the richness of your This place I love, my home and native land We welcome all and with you we'll stand We'll set you straight with law, policy and practice Here on the Canadian Immigration Yeah.
Canadian immigration.